For a few years now, I've been teaching at our local Catholic colleges at UBC, and right now I'm teaching some undergraduates. And always this time of year, as we approach the end of the semester, I start getting the same questions. What's on the final exam? Can you give us some hints about the kinds of questions we're going to be asked? From what we've talked about in this course, what do we really have to know? And of course, at the end of the semester, the undergraduates, and myself too, if I'm honest, get more stressed out because there's more work to be done. And they begin thinking more and more about their final exam. It's interesting for me that the readings that we usually have at this time of year seem to track or correspond to the way the undergraduate semester works. In another week, we're going to have the Feast of Christ the King. The week following that will be the first Sunday of Advent. So we in the church right now aren't approaching the end of the semester, but are approaching the end of the church year. And at this time, when we listen to the readings, they have similar themes as the undergraduates are concerned about. These themes of judgment, these themes of the final exam, and the readings are also a bit harsh. They provoke a bit of, kind of we could say, anxiety that is associated with these final kinds of tests. And in the Gospels that we've had, last Sunday, this Sunday, and the following Sunday, Jesus gives us a bit of insight about what will be on our final exam, ultimately how we will be judged. So we're reading now from Matthew chapter 25. And in Matthew 25, there are three parables that Jesus tells all about the end times, the end of the world. And Jesus does this not to kind of freak us out. Jesus sometimes uses language that can be a bit hyperbolic, like this idea of being cast out into the darkness. But Jesus wants us in the end to focus on what is most important, to realize how we will in the end be judged. And so last Sunday we heard the parable of the virgins, some were wise, some were foolish, and it talked about the need for us to store up oil in our lamp, and this oil could be interpreted as faith or good works. Next Sunday, on the Feast of Christ the King, we're going to hear about the parable of this king who returns and sits on his throne of judgment and separates what are called the sheep from the goats, those who have done good and those who have done evil, and we'll hear how the criteria for this judgment is how they have treated the poor among them. This Sunday, however, the kind of hint we get for the final exam has to do with talents, this parable of the talents. And I think in order to understand this rich parable that can be interpreted in so many different ways, we first perhaps need to take a step back because this parable can seem like a bit of a cliche. When we hear right away even the word talent, we assume it's talking about kind of abilities that we have. For example, we might have a talent for drawing. I don't have a talent for drawing. My drawing is about the same, my skills, as when I was in grade two, so it's not very good. But some people have a talent for drawing. Others have a talent for math, things like that. And although Jesus could be talking about this for sure, abilities, when he talks about talents, we should ask ourselves, what was a talent at Jesus' time? So at Jesus' time, a talent was a unit of measure for a precious metal, like gold or silver. And depending where you were in the Roman Empire, a talent could have different weights. So in some places it could be 30 kilograms, in some places as high as 70. But what we know for sure is that a talent was a large quantity of a precious metal. Take, for example, gold. 
So if we take about an estimate of what a talent was at Jesus' time, a talent was about 50 kilograms of gold. Do you have any idea how much that costs? Neither do I, but I looked it up. So as I was looking up gold, I noticed that Costco actually recently was selling small little gold bars. Were you able to buy some? Me neither. They were sold out by the time I went. Just joking. They're very expensive. If you bought gold bars from Costco, talk to me after Mass, okay? All right, so they were selling gold bars. One ounce, a gold bar, $2,800. So kind of doing some math, if you were to buy 50 kilograms of gold from Costco, four and a half million dollars. And as we know, Costco has good deals, so that seems to be a good rate. So one important message then from this parable is that all of us have received something precious. All of us have received important gifts from God. And sometimes we can look around in the world and we can see super talented people. We might read about them on news, like sports figures, people in industry, business people, writers, artists, and we can think, okay, in comparison to them, I'm not very talented. God didn't give me very much. Maybe when God was giving out abilities, he kind of skipped me over. But a major lesson in this parable is that this is simply not the case. Each of us have received something precious from God. So this person in the parable who receives a measly, quote-unquote, one talent, has actually received, we'd say in today's dollar, four and a half million dollars. So sure, some people have received something like $20 million, but you'd have to be a bit kind of having some problems with your view on reality if you think getting four and a half million dollars is not very much. And this then is the main message from this parable. We've all been given some gifts, some abilities that are very, very important, very, very precious. And because of the value of them, Jesus might also, in addition to these natural talents, like being able to draw, he might also be talking about talents that are spiritual, the gift of faith, the gift of hope, the gift of joy. This then is an important message we get from this parable when we understand what a talent was at Christ's time. Each of us have received something precious from God. When God was handing out abilities and gifts, he skipped nobody. A second important message we get from this parable is that we shouldn't let fear prevent us from using the gifts that God has given us. And again, there's many different messages in this parable. Parables are rich in that way. But we see this man who gets scolded at the end eventually reveals the fact that he did nothing with his talent. He just buried it in the ground, didn't even put it in a bank because he was afraid. So fear sometimes, and this of course is quite natural, can be like an obstacle. We might not want to use our skills, our abilities at the service of others because we are afraid. So kind of a movie that kind of strikes this home, I think, is the movie Goodwill Hunting. This came out a long time ago. And again, don't take this as a movie recommendation because the language is sort of bad. But we know that, that maybe you know the plot of this movie. But this movie is about this guy, Will, who is played by Matt Damon. And as you get to know Will in the movie, you see he's kind of from a poorer neighborhood, but he's a genius. As his friends say, Will is wicked smart. So Will is this mathematical genius, actually, and he's working as a janitor at MIT. And one of the professors there in the university, oftentimes on the blackboard, will leave 
uh, math problems for students to solve. And there's this one math problem on the blackboard and nobody can solve it. And then one day the professor is shocked to discover somebody has actually solved this math problem. And he investigates and he investigates and he finds out it's the janitor, the character that Matt Damon plays. And the professor eventually kind of gets in touch with him and tries to convince him. He says, look, you're a mathematical genius. Please come study with us, research with us. You can use these incredible gifts, these talents you've been given at the service of other people. You can really, really make a difference in the world. And Matt Damon, we soon discover, is afraid to use his talents. We learn as the movie goes on that he's experienced a lot of trauma in his past, and this causes him to be fearful, especially to fear rejection. And as the movie goes on, he develops this remarkable relationship with a psychologist who's played by Robin Williams, who eventually encourages him to seek healing and seek, uh, encourages him to overcome his fear. So at the end of the movie, kind of at the climax, we see that the character played by Matt Damon has overcome his fear. It hasn't gone away, but he's committed to try to use these gifts of math that he's received at the service of other people to develop them. We too, of course, can let fear get in the way of us using our gifts. We can think, what will people think if I kind of step up and serve in this way? Or what will people think if I kind of use these gifts and talents? They might ask me to do more work and maybe I want to avoid that. We can have various kinds of fears. But a major message of this parable is we shouldn't let fear get in the way from us using our gifts and talents. And this lesson then, perhaps, challenges us to change the way we approach being a disciple of Jesus, or change, we could say, the way we do an examination of conscience. So oftentimes we do an examination of conscience before confession, for example, or maybe when we're praying in private and we want to seek God's forgiveness. Oftentimes when we do these examination of conscience, we focus on what we would call sins of commission. These are kind of bad actions that we've done. We've lied, we've cheated, stole, things like that. And of course, we need to focus on these sorts of sins. We want to avoid them. But we can sometimes ignore or pass over what we call sins of omission. These are sins where we didn't do the good. We had the opportunity to do good, but we didn't do it. So in light of this gospel, I think it challenges us to focus on these kind of omitted acts when did I have opportunities to use my talents, my gifts that I've been given, but didn't use them, like this man in the parable, perhaps buried them in the ground? And I was reflecting on myself when I go to confession. I usually confess, or more often than not, confess these sins of commission, things I've done that are wrong. But wouldn't it be strange also to confess more often these sins of omission? We could say, for example, Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I haven't used this gift of joy that I've received. I'm a naturally joyful person, but I know there's people in my life who are down and I didn't reach out to encourage them. We could say, for example, too, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I have this gift of music, perhaps, and I haven't used it to inspire those around me. Or bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I have quite a bit of time at this time in my life and I haven't used it to reach out to those around me to offer a kind word of encouragement. Or we could say, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. I've received certain material resources, 
but I haven't used that at the benefit of the poor or the marginalized. So this parable then encourages us to perhaps reconsider the way we judge ourselves as being disciples of Jesus, to realize we've all received many, many talents that God wants us to use at the service of others. So perhaps with this in mind then, during this Mass, we could take a moment to call to mind a talent we have in our life. What's one talent that God has given you? Remember, we've all received them. We've all received something, a skill, an ability, or maybe a spiritual gift, the gift of hope, the gift of joy. What is one talent you have received? And perhaps how is the Holy Spirit calling you to use this talent in a new way? As we reflect on this, let's ask the Holy Spirit for his help and assistance that we don't allow fear to prevent us from using these talents at the service of others.